Welcome to another of the short Cood Street podcasts that Jonathan Strawn and I have been doing all summer, since March now. And today I'm delighted to spend uh, 10 or more minutes with multiple World Fantasy Award winning and current, in fact, current nominee, uh, the uh, legendary editor, artist, uh, poet, writer, uh, Terry Windling. How are you today, Terry? I'm good, Gary. Thank you for having me. As you, um, you, I'm a regular listener to the podcast, so it's really delightful to be on it. And it's delightful to have you on it as well. You've been uh, uh, you, you're in a very different environment for the last decade or so, I guess, from where you were living in the Southwest. Well, when I was in the Southwest, I was going back and forth to England. I was uh-huh. Time between winters in Tucson and summers in um, here in Devon. It's what over the last ten years I've stopped going back and forth and just been here full time. Largely, largely I got married. Uh Yes. (laughs) And immigration doesn't particularly like people going back and forth anymore. So we had to choose, and this is what we chose. Um, Right now, it seems like the wisest choice imaginable. Well, uh, England isn't doing a heck of a lot better than America with coronavirus. We've got the worst death rate in Europe. But but I always assumed that was in the urban areas, and you're kind of remote from that, aren't you? We are. That has been a blessing. It's gone up a little bit around here because we're not too far from the seaside, and so everyone Mm -hmm. from the urban areas is suddenly flooding down here and bringing Ah. it. But it's, it's still much better here than it is either in London or up in the north. So, um, And we're in a tiny village where really it's not a huge concern as long as we're careful, which is a blessing. Well, it, it sounds like you've moved into the kind of environment you've been writing about your whole life. <laughs> yeah, I found a fairy tale village to live in. <laughs> exactly. Brian Froud and Alan Lee, the, the amazing painters and film designers, uh, found it first in the 1970s. And over time, a lot of us involved with myth and fantasy in one way or another have moved in. And so it's a a tiny little village, probably about 2,000 people and a lot of sheep. But um, among that small population, there are quite a few people involved with fantasy. That's wonderful. Well, speaking of fantasy, the questions we ask on all these short podcasts is, especially during this strange past several months uh, of, of heightened tension for all of us, are you able to get any reading done? I, I always get reading done. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stop me. Um, it, actually, my life hasn't changed dramatically because of coronavirus. Because I live in a, a small rural setting where I'm working in a small cabin by the woods every day anyway, I already have a pretty isolated, quiet life. So it hasn't changed dramatically for me, though it has for my husband, who's in theater, and his industry has just basically stopped. Yes. So, so one of us in the family is carrying on as usual, and um, he's he's had a wretched time. And our daughter, who's in London and works in the hospitality industry, also everything stopped. Oh, so I'm, I'm aware that that I'm very fortunate that it hasn't had a huge effect on my work. I just keep plowing along as I always do. Well, in that case, what have you been reading lately that you'd recommend enthusiastically to people or possibly warn people away from? <laughs> well, I've, 
I always have several different things on the go, some nonfiction and some fiction at the same mm. time. And in nonfiction, I've been really interested lately in the, the place where oral storytelling and literature meet and writers who are exploring that dichotomy and the ways the, the two different forms support each other, the ways they work against each other. Um, most recently, I read two books by Native American writers, The Truth About Stories by Thomas King, which is um, subtitled A Native Memoir. And he's, if you know his novels and his short stories, he's a, he's a very funny writer, and he works mm. with Native myth quite a lot in his fiction. So it his essays are also entwined with mythologies of the kind that I particularly like to get my mm. teeth into and the ways that that ways his oral storytelling heritage has impacted him as a novelist. So he's looking at those two things in concert. Um, and the other book is Louise Erdrich's, um, I have to go find my copy so I remember the title correctly, um, book, Books and Islands. So, am I, have I got that right? Books and Islands in Ojibwe Country by Louise Erdrich. And uh -huh. she she's looking more at books and literature, but again from a native this perspective of a Native American writer. And it's this wonderfully sensual journey that she's making through the islands in the border waters between Canada and America and ex just exploring the ideas of storytelling and and literature of all kinds as she and that, Yeah, and that comes up again and again in her novels as well yeah so this kind of. I, I had it's not a new book i hadn't even known she'd published it and when huh. i saw it online in a review of something else i pounced and instantly ordered a copy <laughs> absolutely gorgeous and having just finished those two um what should pop through the mail but the way of the imagination by scott russell saunders um, American Midwestern writer. Do you know him? He's I know. Yes, I do, but not for years. Oh, oh he's still writing up a storm, and his his essays in particular are sublime. And the way he talks about storytelling and and the stories we tell to to each other, um, to culturally about not only the other in diversity terms, but the other in terms of human relationship to the non-human world. I it. it He's got a gorgeous way of both looking at the power of storytelling and inspiring, at least me, inspiring me to to use that power for the good. And so he's got a brand new book out called The Way of Imagination. And I've only read the introduction so far, but it looks like these essays are at least partially in response to the craziness going around on around us now, politically, environmentally, yeah. Yeah, with the pandemic. And seeking out ways stories and the use of the imagination can help us heal ourselves and the world, which is totally my cup of tea. <laughs> well, that, uh, that that raises another uh, question, which is, uh, what 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 is a good example of of de-stressing of a, of a comfort read? I guess I I don't like the term comfort read because sometimes people return to books which are by definition not very comfortable. But do you have things that you return to in times of stress? Yes. I, I return to a classic fantasy, what, what would now be called classic fantasy, works that were new when I was first starting out in the field. But um, I go back to Ursula Le Guin, Patricia McKillop, 
Robin mm-hmm. McKinley. I, I go back to these writers who are um, I, just, their use of language reminds me of why I'm in this field. The way they tell stories, not just the stories they tell, but the way that they structure their stories, the language they put on the page, the also the, the connection they have with the natural world around them, which is a big thing for me right now because I'm mm. exp- the interface between nature writing, which is another field I like reading, and fantasy fiction. And I'm trying to look at the ways both have bounced off each other, whether they whether these writers know it or not. There, there are themes in contemporary nature writing from the 1980s onwards that I also see in certain kinds of fantasy fiction. And I'm trying to puzzle out how these two things relate, because they certainly relate for me. And so I, I'm, I'm going back to some of those writers like Patricia McKillop. I've been yeah. on yet another. I can't even I can't even think how many times I've reread her books, <laughs> but they're, they're in me like 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 poetry, like like things that you. <laughs> and, 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 and she's she's still producing wonderful work now, which is and ought, and ought to be so much better known, don't you think? I think so. Uh, I, I think one of the things that uh, has happened is, now you, you're right, these are now viewed as classics, which means that this field expanded in all kinds of good ways, and culturally and in terms of diversity and in terms of uh, international uh, perspectives. But by the time the field had expanded, uh, people like Pat had already become classics. And so I, I don't know if the newer readers are discovering her work, or for that matter, the work of, of Robin McKinley or even... Uh, Le Guin, Beyond Earthsea. I mean, there are some wonderful stories by Le Guin, thanks, uh, some of them coming back into print, thanks to the Library of America, uh, yeah. that people don't know about. Things like Four Ways to Forgiveness, some of the novellas, some of the oh. stories about rural. Well, you mentioned yeah. nature writing. She wrote her stories about Oregon. Yeah, and she was very much considered part of that crowd by the American Western nature writers themselves. She, right. she, she crossed that divide. Um, and it's one of the things that fascinates me about the Earthsea trilogy in particular, but as you say, some of these other, the, the gift series, you know, that her, her sense of landscape and the landscape being a presence that shapes the story is very strong. Yes. And a few weeks ago on one of these little chats, I was talking with, with Molly Gloss, who also Ah. has crossed that barrier, you know, being a nature writer, a Western writer, uh, Yes. And a fantasist, uh, and it all fits together in her work. I reread Wildlife recently on this little path I, I'm on right now to to look at the people doing nat- what I would call nature writing in fantasy. And she, she, of course, is a major person in that field. And over here in England, some of Graham Joyce's work fits into that category, like um, Limits of Enchantment, his mm-hmm. this novel about hedgerow magic in rural Britain. Is, and I think there, yeah, I think there's a long tradition. I was talking, again, on one of these short ones, I was talking to a, a friend of his, Liz Williams, who's ah, li- yes. li- living in uh, Glastonbury now, I guess. Yeah, not and, too far from me. I adore Liz. Oh, God. Just, it was a wonderful discussion because, again, that sense of place, which seems to be a tradition going back to Arthur Mackin. I guess Robert Holdstock is part of that tradition. Absolutely, uh, Robert Holdstock, yeah. Have you read her her Comet Weather? Yes, I loved it. Oh, I love that book. I absolutely love that book. 
And another book that I love that is also all, goes in this tradition, though, it, it too, like, like Patricia McKillop is all about language, set in Australia, is Fly Away by Kathleen Jennings, which I've, absolutely knocked my socks off. I've, That's I've heard about it, yeah. One of the most astonishing new voices in fantasy I've come across. In a, I mean, I've known Kathleen for ages and I've read her short stories, but I nothing prepared me for that novella. It, it's like she's inventing a new language for Australian fantasy, um, using myth and folklore, but in ways I've not seen it used before. And, you know, when you're in this field for a long while, it takes it takes a it lot. It takes to a lot, yeah. And <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, being in the field, do you have anything uh, of, of yours that we should be looking forward to? And I'm, I'm going to put a plug in for one thing that I know is coming, even though it's not a book, is your involvement with the University of Glasgow uh, and a, a new center for the study of fantasy, I guess. Isn't that exciting? They um, They already have a fantasy literature master's program there but they've gotten funding to start this whole big center for the study of fantasy and the fantastic in other art forms and i'm really excited to be not not formally working with them but kind of informally involved with helping get events together and uh i'm so Mm -hmm. excited about what they're doing they're a really good crew we're launching the center in um just a couple of weeks time with a talk by Ellen Kushner which which will be online and tickets are already sold out but you can still see it through there's going to be a a YouTube live stream so people will still be able to see it and that's um, if if folks want to see it just look up the Center for Fantasy and the Fantastic and they'll find the information on that and and we have some other events in store working on one in uh, a weekend of looking at fantasy and po- in um, puppetry. Oh, wonderful. My husband is a professional puppeteer, so that's something that's very near and dear to my heart. What about your own work? What, do we, what can we look forward to? Well, I'm working on a very long, delayed novel called The Moon Wife, which is set in the same fictional universe as The Woodwife, but mm. not in the same place. It's set over here in England. And... Um, it's been due forever and ever and ever, and I'm finally getting my teeth into it <laughs> and hope to actually deliver it. And and Patrick Nielsen Hayden at Tor will be, I'm sure, delighted. That I'm <laughs> <done>. <laughs> well, there are there are a lot of people who've been waiting for this. The Woodwife is, I that's that's been quite a while. It has been quite a while. I've published quite a lot of nonfiction on myth, fairy tales, fantasy since then and and i write a daily blog called myth and more looking at myth and fantasy and storytelling so i I haven't been idle plus i I paint and Mm -hmm. um i've been involved with this year-long interdisciplinary project out of oxford university and sheffield university called modern fairies looking at bringing 12 artists from different fields together including a bunch of folk musicians to look at the British folklore tradition and create new material out of it. So for a bit over a year, I've been working with those folks uh, and we produced a show in Newcastle last spring and other things are coming out of it. So I've been busy, but I haven't had a lot of publications out. 
No one is requiring publications of you, but we. And then the Myth and More is a wonderful website. I can recommend that to everyone, uh, both for art and, and and scholarship. Uh, so we're over our time, of course, as I knew we would be, because we could go on for hours with this. But uh, this is. Um, again, been uh, several minutes with Terry Windling. This is Gary Wolf, and thank you so much for being with us, Terry. Uh, thanks for having me, Gary. It's lovely to talk to you.